And then Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor upon the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God has shown strength with his arm. God has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. The word of the Lord. When they teach someone to stand watch at sea, you are warned, don't focus on one spot too long. Look all around, because you might miss something that is obvious. Pay attention especially to what you see out of the corner of your eye. It's more sensitive. What you cannot see directly in front of you, you may be able to see out of the corner first. Not clearly, of course, but just a hint there when you're looking out and scanning the horizon. At sea, we can be so easily fooled. You look out in the ocean in daytime, and you think, I could see somebody in the water a mile away. Not a chance. Not even in a bright orange raft. You see a ship, and you think, oh, that must be about 500 yards away. It's not. It's five miles away. Distances fool you. When you were at watch at sea, you have to be careful. You have to look in every possible direction, and you have to consider every hint of possibility. Even if I had wanted to get up here this morning and make a fuss over the swamping over commercialization of this season, it's too late. Uh, the angel Gabriel is already here with a startling, totally disarming announcement. In this text, God's truth is conveyed in a really strange way by our standards. But this announcement in Luke follows the standard pattern of Jewish scripture. An angel appears. The person being visited reacts, almost always in fear. And the person is reassured. A birth is announced. The one to be born is named. The child's future is predicted. An objection is raised. A final reassurance is given, and the word is accepted. And from there in Luke, it all comes upon us so quickly and with such warm familiarity. The decree from Caesar Augustus, the trip to Bethlehem, the no vacancy sign in the inn, the angels, the shepherds, Joseph and Mary, the swaddling cloths. The challenge of Christmas for us is to locate anew where this story has power for us today. Beyond tradition and beyond sentiment, where do we encounter God? There is good reason for holy messengers in the Bible to constantly announce their appearance with the reassurance, don't be afraid. Why would they have to say, don't be afraid, if there were not, in fact, Really good reasons to be afraid. Why rush into don't be afraid 
if everything was so familiar and comfortable. The truth to which Mary bears witness is this. This is good news that unsettles our settled world. This is a word from God which is constantly in jeopardy if we are not on the watch, if we are not prepared to live it and not just observe it. In fact, we often eschew waiting and watching of some bold announcement from God and instead fall into a kind of emotional and spiritual mediocrity in order not to feel too bad about our lives we will not feel too good about our lives and not expect too much either. Rather than expecting the world to be broken into with the word so overpowering, we need constant reassurance, we instead become pedestrians, never straying very far from the safe and the known. There are two points, especially in Mary's song, Mary's Magnificat, that stop us in our tracks today, I think, as we wonder how God's power really gains traction in a world like ours. The first is a nagging suspicion we have about these words. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones. God has lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things. God has sent the rich away empty. Political commentators of every stripe, every economist from Milton Friedman's disciples to Paul Krugman have very strong opinions about this. But Mary, this teenage girl, Mary's Magnificat comes to us in December 2016 and finds a very fractured world, just like the world of the first century. And there's a conventional script, frankly, when it comes to preaching about wealth and, and power and from the Magnificat. A bunch of people would think that's wonderful and it's about time and they might even use words like prophetic and we all know what happened to prophets. And then there's a whole other bunch of people who will think this is naive, it's intrusive, it's inappropriate. You can't just take poetic words from a first century teenager and translate them artlessly into some social or political program. To move beyond this dull dichotomy, a few years ago, Sam Wells, then dean of the chapel at Duke University, made a suggestion in regard to the Magnificat, I'd like to put us alongside this text this morning. Rather today than choosing between hearing the Magnificat as wonderful poetry or as a power manifesto, perhaps there's another way to live into this text. So in the light of this season and the gift of this text, I invite you this week or next to have one conversation with someone about this. Wells suggests that if you're uneasy about having this conversation, pick someone who's pretty familiar to you. If you're feeling a little more bold, then have a conversation with someone who comes from a very different part of society than you do. If, here are the four parts of what this conversation might open. With one other human being, within the echo of the Magnificat. 
Tell me about ways in which you are rich. Tell me about ways in which you are poor. Let me tell you ways in which I am poor. Let me tell you ways in which I am rich. That's it. The basis of a conversation I invite you to have with one other human being in the next week or two in light of Mary's song. Having that conversation, tell me about the ways in which you are rich. Tell me about ways in which you are poor. Let me tell you ways in which I am poor. Let me tell you in which ways I am rich. With just one other person may actually create a connection and community that all the programs and thoughts fail to do. You might find it to be a very difficult conversation. You might find it to be an amazing gift. You might find that it's both at the same time. Either way, that's the point where it's time to ask Mary's question. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to sing along this song of joy and hope through us? Through your poverty and through your riches, can we see this in each other? Are you letting God turn you into Mary's song? If we let God turn us into Mary's song, then we also need to learn to sing the second astounding verse of this song. For the nativity story is a story, frankly, with just one main point, as the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. I like Christmas well enough. The presents, the trees, the food, Mary and Joseph, the inn with no room, the shepherds of Luke, the magi of Matthew, the manger, the cattle lowing, the little drummer boy, it's all great. But when we wake on Christmas morning, if we are intent on capturing the Christmas spirit of Scripture, then we better wake with this song on our lips, for nothing is impossible with God. Here's this unwed teenaged mother from a part of the world no one counted and the powerful just ignored. And an angel comes to her and, the, and says that the Holy Spirit is upon her and she will bear a child of the Most High God. And she doesn't even laugh or look around for the hidden camera. She ends up saying, here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be. Who does she think she is? For nothing will be impossible with God. That's who she thinks she is. Here's Joseph. What Mary told him about the angel had told her went against all the law of Moses, all his cultural and religious traditions. According to Matthew, when Joseph heard about Mary's pregnancy, he considered what this might mean. Considered it? A closer translation leads us to say he was enraged by what he heard. But nevertheless, he acted with compassion and justice and righteousness and faithfulness against all religious and moral expectations of the day. What is Joseph all about? For nothing is impossible with God is what Joseph is all about. And here are these shepherds tossed out of their boring, normal evening by an announcing angel backed by an angel army. You know, after the Bethlehem experience, from everything we know, the shepherds apparently felt no need to rush off and write a book 
or get interviewed or rush off to monasteries or seminaries. We never know as far as Scripture goes anything about any of the shepherds ever again. They're never mentioned. But I'll bet you that wherever they are and whatever they did in their life from that night on, it was infused with the echo of the words, for nothing is impossible with God. How do we become Mary's song? How do we live in the peace of a world where poor and rich meet each other as equals? And the lowly and the mighty join hands to bring justice rushing down like a mighty river. We begin by singing the refrain of the angels, for nothing is impossible with God. That message needs to be declared by us from every mountaintop we can find. That needs to be the church's creed today as never before. We should recite it often, not just at the manger, but we should recite it to everyone tangled up and trapped in Aleppo, South Sudan, Gaza, and on Dust Bowl farms and on shuttered factories. Nothing is impossible with God is the word today to Vladimir Putin and Theresa May and Angela Merkel and Ellen Johnson Sirleaf and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi and John McCain. Nothing is impossible with God needs to be the word today to Raul Castro and Mahmoud Abbas and Bibi Netanyahu and Pope Francis and Aung San Suu Kyi and Hillary Clinton and John Roberts and Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Nothing is impossible with God is the word today to every single parent struggling to get to tomorrow and to every child growing up in a bleak world of poverty, to every child orphaned in Malawi and to every teen dodging bullets on the south side of Chicago, to every person struggling with a bad diagnosis, a long string of unemployment, a shattered family, a hopeless situation. Anytime anyone suggests to you or to me that the problems of our world are too complex, they're too hard, they're too daunting, they're absolutely beyond solution, we can say it tenderly, we should say it gently, but we need to believe boldly nothing is impossible with God. For everyone trapped in a life-destroying addiction, nothing is impossible with God. For those of us who time to time get caught up in that dull bargain, in order not to feel too bad about life, we promise not to expect too much from life either. Nothing is impossible with God is the other word. Than that. When we really start sharing the riches of our life and the poverty of our life, and when we begin to listen to the poverty and riches of another, and when we find justice elusive and peace invisible, we need to say out loud nothing is impossible with God. We watch for signs on the horizon of the coming of God. When we do that, don't focus on just one place, a church, a home, a manger. Hope is closer than we think. In our lives, 
when you catch even out of the corner of your eye the slightest glimpse of the impossible happening, you know that there Christ is being born. Watch everywhere. Because our faith tells us that the impossible happens all the time by God. When the impossible happens to us, around us, in our world, then we just need to say with Mary, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Are you letting God turn you into Mary's song. Nothing is impossible with God. 